Kokolitzli, the great dying. Over the course of the 16th century, some 90% of indigenous people in the Americas died. Many deaths occurred right at the start of European colonial occupation, but most, the worst, occurred a generation or two later, after indigenous peoples had already been weakened by European conquest, violence, and starvation. Waves of disease traveled across the Americas. Smallpox, measles, salmonella, malaria, yellow fever, cholera. So many indigenous peoples of the Americas died in the 16th century, perhaps 55 million, perhaps 60 million people, that their abandoned lands, fields, and cities were reclaimed by weeds, trees, and rainforest. This huge, continent-wide increase in vegetation, which grew and covered the areas where humans once lived, was big enough to cause a measurable change in the geochemistry of the Earth's atmosphere. A very small drop in atmospheric carbon was the result of the near disappearance of humanity across an entire continent. Those of us living in the Americas today reside on the remains of mass death. The legacy of the great dying is still with us, and still not fully accounted for, today. These imperialist encounters in the 16th century shaped the development of the modern world. European conquest from its very beginning was a regime of extraction. European exploration of the Americas began as a search for wealth to fund wars. It was always about extracting wealth. European conquerors extracted natural resources, gold, silver, sugar, cotton, tobacco. Europeans extracted labor from imported enslaved people and indigenous conscript laborers. The flow of silver coins and other goods from the Americas is what transformed European nations, which had been devastated by the bubonic plague, into dominant modern world powers, with the means to command masses of soldiers and heavy artillery cannons across the world stage. European conquest of the Americas imposed new types of production and organization of labor on indigenous peoples. European demands disrupted indigenous lifeways, foodways, and cultures. This disruption itself, the demands of forced labor and malnutrition, made indigenous peoples vulnerable to disease. At the same time, Europeans gained access to new resources, especially food and raw materials. A wider range of food sources improved Europeans' bodily health. Potatoes, sugar, and chocolate were essential imports from the New World that provided the calories necessary for workers in industrializing Europe. Tea and coffee replaced beer as the drink of choice for European workers, with important consequences for productivity. So as European bodies grew stronger and more productive, indigenous American and African people paid the price. In the wake of American pandemics, Europeans replaced and decimate the decimated Amerindian labor force with African slave labor. Nine to 10 million Africans were forced into slavery in the Americas between 1500 and 1900. My point here is this. Amerindian collapse, violence, and disease, together with African enslavement, facilitated European and Euro-American wealth and growth. We are all still living with the long-term consequences of that extraction. European colonists at the time interpreted the great dying as divine providence. The Lord, said some, had cleared the land for Europeans to live on it and fructify it. Indigenous peoples understood it differently, as pure catastrophe. 
Historians and epidemiologists are still debating the causes of the great dying. The stakes are still high. Should we blame the Spanish conquistadores for their violence and greed? Should we blame European empires more generally for extracting labor and raw materials with no heed for the damage they wrought? Was the great dying a genocide? Or was the great dying an unfortunate and unintentional side effect, the result of biological destiny? The answers to those questions speak to the issue of historical responsibility for past actions and to the issue of reparations in the present. Starting in the 1970s, new research emerged that showed disease had a much larger impact on the Americas than had been previously thought. Archaeologists estimated that Amerindian civilizations were much larger than had been thought before. This was not an empty, unoccupied land, as some settlers had liked to believe. Researchers estimated that disease had killed 90-95% to of people who had lived in the Americas. Historians like Alfred Crosby considered what this meant for history of the conquest of the Americas. Crosby pointed out that imperialism involves a whole lot more than just people. Plants, animals, plantation-style agricultural systems, and disease-causing pathogens all traveled across the oceans. Together, they reshaped ecologies and landscapes around the world. Imperialism was a socio-ecological regime change. Some historians rewrote the history of European conquest as a story of disease. Amerindians perished, they thought, because of geographical bad luck. Unlike Eurasia, the Americas are hard to travel across. Centuries of commercial exchange across Eurasia had exposed Europeans to many epidemic diseases, and over time they developed resistance. Amerindians did not have as much exposure to disease, and therefore, historians thought, they were vulnerable to what historians called a virgin soil epidemic. Meaning, an outbreak of disease in a people who had never been exposed to it before. It was thought that indigenous peoples were particularly vulnerable to virgin soil outbreaks. They had no immunity. The Spaniards unwittingly had brought the agents of a civilizational destruction, carried in their bodies, their slaves' bodies, in the bodies of the rats and insects on their ships, to the Americas. Some of that is most certainly true. A smallpox epidemic struck the Nahua, or Aztec, people in 1520, just after they had repelled a Spanish attempt to invade their capital city. When Hernan Cortes and his allies returned the next year, they easily conquered a city in disarray. In South America, the Incan leadership was decimated by disease even before Francisco Pizarro ever arrived to attack them. These epidemics were quick. They arrived alongside European invaders or traveled between indigenous societies even before Europeans arrived to conquer them. We must be very careful, though, not to conclude from this that Amerindian peoples were weak and vulnerable by nature, nor that their deaths were pure biological accidents. There is a risk in thinking that Europeans were innately superior to Amerindians because of their resistance to disease. In the past, Theories that indigenous people were more vulnerable to disease have justified European dominance and racial segregation. But more recent research suggests that indigenous Americans suffered the worst damage and death, not when they first made contact with Europeans, but in the generations that followed. We know that almost twice as many people in the former Aztec lands of Mexico died in disease outbreaks in 1544 and 1576 one or two generations after the Spanish conquest, 
than in the first wave of epidemics in the 1520s. The later outbreaks were confounded by removal of indigenous people to plantation-style encomiendas, forced labor, and malnutrition. Sheep and cattle brought from Europe destroyed native Mexican agriculture. Deforestation around settlements exposed lands to erosion and flooding. A prolonged mega-drought in the mid-1500s probably made all of that worse by decreasing food supplies even more and concentrating disease-carrying rodents and insects around fields and homes. DNA from the teeth of indigenous people buried in Mexico City in this period suggests that they died from a particularly nasty form of salmonella, a disease carried by rats and in food. There's also a risk that the virgin soil theory might encourage us to forget the violence, starvation, forced labor, and extraction of food and wealth, which compounded the impact of disease. David S. Jones reminds us that the virgin soil outbreak theory can assuage Euro-American guilt about inheriting lands extracted by dispossession. If mass death was a biological outcome of the meeting between Europeans and indigenous Americans, it might be considered an inevitable evil. Virgin soil theory, David Jones writes, attempts to isolate the present from the horrors of the past. By ignoring the social factors that created the disease in the Colombian encounter, he says, the theory makes it easier to ignore the same factors when they operate today. When health experts talk about racial or ethnic groups who are more vulnerable or prone to COVID-19, it's important to remember that these groupings and their differential suffering are neither natural nor inevitable. They are the result of 500 years of history, going back to the decimation of indigenous Americans and the enslavement of African peoples. <laughs>